Hey there, welcome to Beyond the Bikini podcast, where you can enhance your body and your mind. My name is Nicole Ferrier, exercise science grad, certified personal trainer, bikini competitor, and coach. On this podcast, you will learn more about my experience in the fitness industry, competing in bikini competitions, mental health, and how to gain more success in your own life in your fitness journey. So sit back, relax, or power through this cardio session and enjoy. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Beyond the Bikini Radio. And in today's episode, I'm very excited for today's guest. We have John Knoll on. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm happy to have you on. I'm excited to talk about the training differences between men and women. But why don't you take a chance to introduce yourself to our audience today? Sure. So for those of you who don't know who I am, like Nicole said, I am John. My uh, official title is the head assistant coach at uh, Level 10 Coaching. I have been in the fitness space since about 2016, starting as a trainer on the gym floor, transitioning like I'm sure most people did to fully online during 2020, during uh, COVID and lockdown. I'm also a professional natural bodybuilder, if you will. Um, don't know if I'm going to be continuing with my personal competitive career any further from here, but my personal clientele is very much kind of general population people. And I will say that I work with predominantly female clients as well. Yeah. Um, I think that's great with like natural bodybuilding too. You don't see that as often and, you know, tell, tell us a little bit more about that. It's a niche. Yeah. Yeah. So I think bodybuilding in general is, is pretty niche. Not that many people, it's getting bigger, you know, and depending on kind of like what your interests are, you probably see it on social media and whatnot. But I'm sure you've got a lot of people um, in your community that don't even know what it's, uh, you know, what it's about, what it entails. So natural bodybuilding is essentially just kind of like the drug free route uh, of competition. But I think that anybody truly that trains in terms of or with having a physique related goal can be considered a bodybuilder, whether or not you get on stage in a bikini or in a you know board shorts or not right yeah I mean I feel like lifting in a way can still be looked at as like an athletic endeavor you don't have to step on stage because some people don't even want to step on stage like they get stage fright so it's like you can still be a bodybuilder and still have these like big physique base goals but you don't have to pay all that money (laughs) for that suit and everything yeah it's 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 a lot and that's why I say that like I don't even know if I'm ever going to get on stage again I will always body build and continue to you know expand on my own knowledge and try and build on my own physique and you know help my clients through my experience with that as well but next time I do you know a, a cut or a diet or something it's probably going to be for a photo shoot whether it's professional or myself rather than getting on stage because like you said it's a lot of money travel hotel like it's it's really stressful even getting that lean you know has its effects on you as a human being, right? So it's a lot for sure. Yeah, it's like a full-time job. Now, I feel like fitness can get really split in terms of gender, whereas like these workouts are for men and these workouts are for women and there's absolutely nothing that's similar, right? We can see that kind of niche sometimes through social media. But I wanted this podcast to show women that men and women do have a lot of similarities and more so just because you're lifting heavy and lifting quote unquote like a man you're not going to get bulky and turn into one yeah i personally think that the reason that there is that split that there's that division that you see 
female focused programs, male focused fo programs is because it's, it's the marketing strategy and it's a good way to hook people in to, to buy into a product or service. Whereas like you said, truly there is training and there's adaptation from training. Not to say that men and women don't have physiological differences because certainly there are some, but in practice, when it comes to, should I be doing something different? Most of the time, my opinion is going to be probably not ever, you know, what you're training, if you have, again, physique related goals, um, should be pretty similar, man or women, you know, man or woman. Yeah. I mean, I think for women, it can be intimidating to get into the gym. So when they see programs that are supposed to be specific for them, they're like, oh, okay, like this is for me. I'm scared of going into the weight training section because it is usually male dominated, although I am starting to notice more women. Um, but it can still be really confusing on what should you be doing? Because I know when I first started lifting, I was like 2013 in high school, like there was like no women, there's maybe like two women, but they're like in their eighties and they weren't like lifting, lifting, you know, they're just there to do some abs and do the light weights. So I was so confused on what to do. And then I would just Google workouts, which led me to just doing a bunch of cardio circuits. Yeah, or the resistance training that you are presented with is just too easy, right? It, it's it's mm -hmm. too light. I think when, when we talk about the similarities uh, between anybody that's training is that there are certain kind of like thresholds that need to be met in terms of training intensity, training volume, in order to actually see the, the change that you want to see. Because whether or not we know that we're aware of it, the goals that most people have our bodybuilding goals, right? Like they want to improve their physique by building muscle to look more toned, look more fit. And in order to make that change, you know, that cardio program that you find on Google is not going to cut it. You know what I mean? It might be a good workout, a good exercise in general, but in terms of, is that going to build you, you know, defined shapely looking legs and glutes? Probably not. Are those, you know, lateral raises that you're doing with one pound yellow rubber dumbbells going to be enough to give you rounded shoulders? probably not you know so everybody has to go through the same type of intentional purposeful intense training that is hard enough to elicit an actual adaptation right and you know th th those words in and of themselves may even sound confusing to people like what does that mean um but truly that's why it's kind of like the same for everybody i believe yeah i mean we say lifting and lifting heavy and it's relative person to person i mean for me heavy on a shoulder press could be 30 pounds, whereas someone else, it might be 50, someone else might be 20. Um, and it's really personal. However, I think what we have to get away from, especially as women is like lifting heavy, isn't, this is challenging and I have to focus lifting heavy is like your body sending you lots of signs of not wanting to keep going and not wanting to complete the reps. You should always focus on your form. Always make sure that you are lifting safely but there should be a lot of resistance, hence resistance training, when you are doing some of your training sets. Um, and so when you're trying to gauge what is heavy for me, focus on your form first, but then even like recording yourself can be extremely beneficial of just looking at your tempo. I've caught, like, caught myself so many times where I'm like, oh, I'm lifting heavy, I'm working hard. And then I record myself and I'm like, wow, I could definitely like go nothing. so much heavier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I honestly think that that is the hardest concept for anybody to grasp, especially if, you know, you've grown up and you never played, you know, sports and you never, you know, grew up 
as a quote unquote athlete, because truly you have to learn to seek discomfort. You know, that's kind of what you're describing there. Like when you say choose heavy enough weights, it does mean that you have to lift a weight that's going to make you feel uncomfortable. It's going to require you to really push hard and, 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 you know, use a lot of effort and, most people, you know, human beings, physiologically, we don't want to do that. Our body will try and, you know, prevent that level of effort, that level of discomfort and surpassing that threshold. I know that I keep using that word, but that's truly kind of like the key to send your body the signal that something's got to change. There has to be an adaptation because that was harder than what I am currently adapted to handle. Right. And it's, it's, Unless you're, you know, and this is a challenge for me, I'm sure you feel the same way as an online coach as well, teaching somebody that like truly, you know, uh, prescribing training hard enough with a heavy enough weight to elicit that, uh, that stimulus or, or that tension. When you're in the gym with somebody, you know, on the gym floor as a trainer, you can kind of see what they're doing. You can tell them, hey, that's too light. That's, you know, we should go up or let's add some weight to the bar or use heavier dumbbells or whatnot. But just giving somebody a program, especially if you're finding one from Google, it's like, it might tell you do three sets of 12, but what does that actually mean? You know, how do you know that those sets of 12 are actually effective? You got to choose that heavy enough weight, right? So it's just a skill. It really is. It takes time to, to perfect that. Um, it's a craft that you get better at over time. Yeah, it takes a lot of time. And I know for my clients, when I review their training videos, and a lot of the times I am saying, go heavier, go heavier. They're like, really? I felt like I was really pushing myself. And then I just remind them like, you're going too fast. I can tell that you could exert yourself harder, but they don't know that they don't know those signs. They're still getting more in tune with their body. So it takes time to really figure that out. Um, I know that we talked a lot about how we're trying to build muscle. If you want to look toned, you want to build muscle, but there's this big confusion for women on like, well, our muscles can lengthen and elongate onto our body, right? Instead of build. And one thing that's common for both men or women is if you want to build your body and look leaner, you want to build muscle. You don't want to lengthen muscle. Muscle doesn't just lengthen unless you're stretching it. We, we want to build it. Yeah. And I, I think another thing to add on top of that is that process itself is especially for people who, you know, like I said, natural bodybuilding, who are doing this in a, in a drug free way, that process actually takes a really long time. It takes a lot of repetitive effort. You have to be make sure that you're eating enough, that you are sleeping enough, that you're managing your stress, putting yourself in an optimal environment to actually build that muscle, which to be quite honest, I feel like a lot of people don't do a lot of those things. They don't check off enough of those boxes to be in an optimal environment for growth. So I see a lot of these people worrying about, I'm going to get too big. I'm going to get too bulky. And I'm like, but you're not sleeping more than six hours a night. You're not eating more than 1500 calories. You're not lifting heavy. Like it's just not going to happen because even if you're a man with testosterone through the roof, it still takes a long time to actually synthesize that new tissue tissue to, to build it. And you have to make sure you're doing a lot of things to create an optimal environment for that to happen. Um, and it just, you know, I've been doing this for seven, close to 10 years now. And I still, and I'm look back and I'm like, that, that's it. That's the only, the, the only change that, that I've made, which, and I've come a long way, but at the same time, I'm like seven years, it, it takes a long time. Yeah. I joke with women all the time that are scared to like get bulky. And I joke with them that I'm trying to get bulky and I still look at myself and I'm still like, you're so small. Where are your delts? Like, <laughs> right. Like, like why not... am I not bigger? I've been doing this for so long. 
so long. And I now, like I tell my husband, I'm like, I can't wait to see what I'll look like in 10 years. And he's like, what? And I was like, because that I feel like in 10 years, maybe I'll be happy. Like right. that's when, happy. that's when I might've built enough, right? That's when it might be noticeable. I truly think that that, you know, when I look at natural bodybuilders, when I look at people who have hit, look at people who have hit their kind of peak in terms of when they maximize the amount of muscle that they'll be able to build, it really isn't people in their, you know, it's not 18 year olds. It's not 25 year olds. Yeah. It's 35. It's 40. It's after you've done this for 20 years straight, not for 12 weeks, right? Not from doing yeah. that one program that you found online. Like it's just not long enough doing the necessary things to build necessary things to build that muscle. Yeah. Going into, you know, lifting, we have to set realistic expectations too. And unfortunately we can get distracted with social media or even looking at like the genetic anomalies. Cause even at, in my gym, or even when I used to coach children, I used to coach gymnasts, there would be little genetic anomalies where I'm like, holy crap, like that eight-year-old's got like delts and like quads. <laughs> and then the other ones wouldn't, you know, but there's always going to be that person that sticks out and you don't want to compare yourself to them. And you also just don't want to compare yourself to anyone, but building muscle truly does take time. So if you feel like someone is progressing faster than you understand that there is a genetic component to that. Um, of course, we talked about the effort and the nutrition, like all these boxes need to be checked off, but there are some people that will make progress faster than you. And that's fine. Yeah. I think in the, in the literature, like in the research, there are people that are categorized kind of as like responders versus non-responders whenever they put them under um, certain protocols for training. And you do see people, no matter if it's a high volume program or a low volume program, there are simply people that just, for whatever reason, because of the parents that they were blessed with, they just have better responses to that training. And there is nothing that you can do about that, right? So what's the point in worrying about, well, they're doing better than I am. Well, they're same thing goes for when you're losing weight too, right? Like that comparison does nothing for you. So truly focusing on yourself and your own progress is the way to expedite your own results. Um, because if you don't, you're always going to be program hopping. You're always going to be saying, oh, well, they're doing that. Maybe I should change what I'm doing. And what we really want long-term is consistent effort over time, not changing up all of these variables that, you know, some people might think that is the, the actual best way to grow. Like we've all seen the the shockier muscle memes and jokes on social media now because it's becoming more commonly well known that that's not how muscle grows. Muscle grows by a progressive, a press, progressively increasing stimulus over time, right? Eliciting progressive overload um, or realizing progressive overload over time. So yeah, truly staying in your lane and continuing to do those things, check off those boxes. That's that's the way. Yeah. And progressive overload. I mean, it's not just about weight, you know, it's also about volume, tempo, the amount of frequency that you're hitting the muscle. You don't just have to like pack it on and on and on the bar. And if you're not going up every single week, like don't think, oh, my gains are going to go down like the trash or whatever. No, like you can still progress in different ways and you might have weeks where you don't make progress and that's okay too. Yeah, I think progressive overload is a, a concept that is confused or that confuses a lot of people and they don't truly understand what it means um, because it's a byproduct of your training. It's not actually something that you do. There's lots of strategies that you can implement to overload. Like you said, you can either lift more weight, do more reps, have a slower tempo, improve your form, improve your technique. All of those things are going to elicit a sufficient stimulus for adaptation, for growth because of those things, because of that stimulus, because your training is effective for growth, you adapt, you get stronger, you build muscle, 
And thus you have to lift more weight. You have to do more in order to keep driving future adaptations. And that's what progressive overload really means. It's doing more because you are now capable of doing more. And if you don't, you're not going to achieve any future further progress, right? So yeah, it doesn't happen quickly. It doesn't have to be like every single week you're doing more, uh, doing lifting more weight, doing more reps. You know, there's a scenario I've posted about on my social media account before that shows, you know, you could go through like 10 weeks of lifting the same exact weight for the same exact amount of reps. And as long as that's achieving that threshold of hard enough, close enough to failure, that entire time is going to be effective training until it's not until now that weight's too light then you have to go up so again patience long this is a long-term game it truly is yeah i also wanted to talk about structural differences so both one thing you and i have in common is like we used to train people in person and men and women have a lot of similarities of our structures and i used to get the question of like couples that wanted to train together if they need to train separately you know because one was female, the other one was a male. And I'd be like, no, I can train you guys together. And their minds were like blown. Um, you know, a lot of male and female structures are the same women in particular, we're going to be weaker in our upper body compared to our lower body. Whereas like, if you're training with a man, like his upper body is definitely going to be stronger than yours, but that's not to say like you can do lunges and he can't, or like you can hip right. thrust and he can't, you know, like we can do all the same exact exercises as long as we don't have any like injuries or anything like that limiting us yeah the the exercise selection is usually going to be pretty similar it's just like you said that the loading capacity the loading range to get quote-unquote heavy enough is going to be different um and i think structural differences are more individual to just human to human than they are um men versus women because mm -hmm. you know uh, two males can have very different femur lengths and so if you're trying to you know put them through a, a squat pattern one might be better suited for barbell back squatting one that might be a horrible exercise selection for and that squat pattern would be uh, a light press would be better for them or something so mm -hmm. that's more so just dependent on your like individual limb lengths and things like that as far as you know back squats being better for men and, and not as great for women like it doesn't really make sense in that uh in that context it's truly about What's what exercises do you have available and what's going to elicit that stimulus that you're trying to achieve? Um, and it can be the exact I have multiple clients, you know, that are some women, some men that could run the exact same program, like you said. And yes, you have to choose different weights, but you don't have to do different exercises. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes too, like you can have preferences. A lot of women, they want to improve their glutes. They want to improve their shoulders. They want that shape. So sure. Like we have maybe a little bit more volume or exercises that are specific, like isolation for those. Um, whereas men usually want to like bring up their chest and bring up their back more, their arms is like another point. Um, so as coaches, we take an account what body parts you want to improve. But for the most part, I mean, again, we could have the same exact program and still get a lot of benefits from it. Yeah, training should be specific in that way based off of what your weak parts are, if you want to call them that, based off of what you want to uh, highlight and what you want to grow more. I think everybody should be doing the fundamental basics. That should be kind of like what everybody's core programming should include, you know, your squat patterns, hinge patterns, pushes, pulls. But then absolutely, if you want to grow your glutes, throw in more bridges, throw in more kickbacks versus if you want to grow your biceps, 
those movements are going to help you do that. You're going to want to train your biceps, do bicep curls, right? So those are the questions you really need to ask is kind of like, what do I want out of my programming? Not, you know, am I a guy or am I a girl? Mm-hmm. Let's go a little bit more internal too. So we talked about testosterone and the differences between um, men and women. Women, a lot, a lot of them get surprised when they hear that they have testosterone in their body. You do, like you just have <laughs> a very little amount of testosterone compared to a male. Um, but testosterone is going to help a man build muscle a lot faster than a woman. Um, and I think that's like the big key to going back to when we said getting too bulky, you're already kind of working in like a big deficit. Like you don't have the advantages as like a man would. Right. You don't have the androgens, the anabolic benefits of that (laughs) hormone. You know what I mean? That's, that's, you quite literally are, um, are lacking in that uh, department. However, there is a benefit also, You, I mean, depending on how you look at it to being a woman as well, in that you have more estrogen, which has been shown to be, I think the best way of putting it is kind of like protein sparing. Um, and so in that sense, you can actually recover from, in most cases, more training, more intense training. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, you know, if a, if a guy was doing three sets of squats to failure, they might be sore and not be able to perform optimally again for four more days versus somebody, you know, who's a a female who has that, that estrogen dominance does the same exact programming, those sets to failure of squats in two days, they might be fully recovered and able to do it again. And so they can train more frequently, more volume overall. And, you know, that could be looked at as a positive thing. You know, you can recover better because you have, you know, a different physiological makeup. Yeah. I honestly feel like that's why a lot of women become volume junkies because I have a lot of women that just can handle so much, right? Yeah. They can handle so much and they recover or they're like, but I'm not sore. Like, I don't see why that's a big deal. Or I'll get women who walk like 20,000 steps, like their servers, or like they work for like FedEx or something. So they just walk a lot. And I'm like, aren't you like exhausted? And they're like, no, I'm fine. Like I'm used to this. Yeah. And I think the best way to, to look at that is to remind yourself that just because you can doesn't mean that it's actually the best idea or that it's actually going to lead to positive change. Like if you look at, um, I don't know if this is the best example, because, you know, a lot of CrossFit athletes are really jacked and do have a lot of mu- muscle, but uh, objectively speaking, the most muscular people are the ones who train like bodybuilders, right? Bodybuilders are, are the most muscular group of people. They don't train in a way that CrossFitters do, which is like crazy high volume, crazy nonstop output. You can adapt to that and get better at that type of training, but that doesn't mean that that's going to be the best for building the most amount of muscle, right? So just because you can recover doesn't mean it's actually the best to do, or just because you can do more doesn't mean it's going to lead to more uh, more gains, so to speak. I think it truly comes down to your performance increasing over time. Like just because you're not sore and you can do another workout, is that additional workout actually going to be effective to drive more progress? And that's where we have to be really mindful of that progressive overload concept. Um, because if you're just doing work and doing work and doing work, but never actually increasing, you know, your loading, your reps or whatever, you're kind of just exercising to exercise, which is not a bad thing. But if you have the goal of growing, you kind of got to make sure that, again, you're checking off all of those boxes uh, when it comes to optimizing the environment to do so. 
Yeah. And to be honest, like a lot of people are short on time. So like we should be trying to do as little as possible and get the most return out of that. Doing more, like you don't win a trophy. You're not going to like make more gains. You're not going to make more progress through doing like 13, 15 exercises in a day, like just madness. And that used to be me. And I had a wake up call when I had some guy at the front desk. He's like, oh, your workouts are as long as my shift. And I was like, that, oh, wow. That's not good. Yeah, I was, I would be there for like three, four hours, but I would be super chatty too. And that was another issue, but I did way too much volume and I thought that I could just get away with it. Cause I figured, well, I'm going to progress way faster than anyone else because I'm doing so much more and it ended up hurting me and my body wasn't able to recover. I wasn't able to build a lot of tissue because I was always breaking it down. And, um, I was spinning my wheels for like at least the first three to four years of like my lifting journey. Yeah. I think the most unfortunate part about that scenario, which is all too common. Like I think so many people start there, which hopefully we're getting better at, you know, flipping that script and more people starting off training in in, in an intelligent way. Um, But the thing about that is like the human body is so resilient. It can take a lot of damage that you can spin your wheels for a long time. You can train like that for a pretty long time time before you truly find it like okay something is wrong now whether that be you know you losing your menstrual cycle whether that be you know some other type of you know thyroid down regulation like you don't notice those things immediately so in your mind you might be thinking like this is good this is good i'm doing all this work i'm I'm making so much progress when ultimately what you're doing is kind of like beating yourself down beating yourself down and it might not be until months and months or even years down the road before you really need to like like it hits you in the face and you're now you are forced to do less. You're forced to eat more. You're forced to gain weight so that your body can actually heal itself. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's tough. Hopefully more people are avoiding that, that step, you know, from day one. Yeah. Those are all of like 2019 and 2020. I like just hit the ground running with all this like competing. And I remember my body just hitting a wall and we sometimes can get let our ego get involved with like our fitness journey or if you're a competitor like you can let your ego take way too much control and i kept thinking well i'm the exception you know it won't be me but now <laughs> a phrase i use is it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when when you're acting recklessly yeah i, I think you're right we all have that kind of like oh it'll never happen to me until it does right yeah. until it does and if you can avoid that you know Look at other people's, what's the opposite of success story? You know, the struggles that people go through, because there's tons of them out there. The good thing about social media is there are people talking about, like, I did this wrong for so long, and then I was forced to do this, and it sucked. I was uncomfortable. I hated it. I'm trying to help you not to avoid that, right? I don't want you to have to go through this, because the climbing out of that hole is a climb, and it's it doesn't happen quickly. It's a struggle. It's not fun. and so, you know, if we can avoid those things, then more people will be better off. Yeah. One thing you mentioned is, um, you know, women and their cycles. I want to ask you, cause I know everyone's different. Do you change your clients workouts up around their cycle? Whereas like you're easing off of the intensity. I know every woman's different too. Like some women really hit a wall, like during their luteal phase, other it's like, while they're on their cycle. So do you do any changes there? Me personally, very rarely, but I'm just kind of curious how you do it. Yeah, I almost 100% of the time 
do not specifically program anything different. The good thing about the the style of programming that I use that you know most of my clients are given some type of intensity range or goal, whether it be using RPE, whether it be using RIR, those things in and of themselves by nature are, you know, auto-regulatory, like they're auto-regulating strategies to gauge your intensity. So that will change based off of how you feel a certain day, how you feel a certain week. So it's already built into the programming to say, if you don't have it in you that day, your RPE eight might be 10 pounds lighter than it would be the following week. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. You know what I mean? So it's kind of built in itself. As far as specific strategies, um, I think nutritionally, they make a little bit more sense, but not what might, m most people might think um, in terms of like avoid this type of food during this week or, or whatever. I think more so just like the amount that you're eating, especially if you're in a diet phase, a strategy that I use a lot of the times is intentionally bringing my clients up to maintenance if they're you know in a deficit for the week of their cycle, the week before, whenever they experience their, their uh, symptoms to alleviate some of that hunger, to alleviate some of those dips in energy, to maybe increase that training performance in the gym by ensuring that we are not, you know, in that low energy availability state. So from a training perspective, I think it does change for some people, but it doesn't have to be specific and it doesn't have to be programmed or planned for mm -hmm. in, unless you are already are using those auto-regulation strategies. Yeah. I think we already kind of do that. You know, like let's say your body is fighting a cold that you're not aware of, like you're going to auto-regulate and probably lift a little lighter and, you know, kind of listen to your body as you know like a woman i think that you should still challenge yourself around your period of course like your fitness goals still matter but just know like you might have to give yourself some grace you might not be hitting prs or like have like the best like food choices where you might want a little bit more processed foods um but it still matters you know you can hold yourself back if you're having like a full week every single month of just like a free for all <laughs> yeah i i used to I used to think that the phrase like listen to your body was a, a cop out like years ago. I would think that like that was like the most woo woo hipster thing to say that and it wasn't actually helpful. But truly, if you're aware of your biofeedback, if you're aware of your individual fluctuations, if you know that during this week of the month, your energy tanks, your hunger increases, your sleep mm -hmm. and digestion suffer, you can make choices accordingly, taking that information into consideration. So this entire process, whether you're doing it on your own, whether you're working with a coach, that it's all about collecting data, increasing awareness around you and how you function, when you function best and what choices allow you to do so. So yeah, it really is listening to your body in a nutshell, like being aware of your biofeedback gives you the, the power of making better choices in certain, certain stages of your life, whether it be you know, changes in seasons, uh, you know, stuff going on in your life, or, you know, just like month to month with those hormonal fluctuations that occur. Yeah, I think a lot of people just are not connected to their body, though. You know, we say listen to your body, but someone who's never tracked their sleep, their digestion, their water, their macros, their training, like they're just going about life living it, it they, they don't know what to critique, right? And so they are usually the person that tries to overcorrect just like one area or completely neglect another area. And that's why as coaches, we want as much information as possible because it all matters. Right. And it, it not just because it gives us more, more information to help you, it, the process of collecting that data is what builds your own awareness and it creates your skill. But I, I agree with you. Like, we are in a niche 
part of like the world that understands these things that is aware of them i would say that the majority of the people in our country in our world don't know what their stress level is like they don't know if you ask them how many times do you go to the bathroom per day they don't know how much water they're drinking they if you said how many milligrams of caffeine are you consuming they would say what does that even mean you know like yeah like it's this stuff is still it's still so new it's so fresh you know health and fitness and making these choices i think is you know it's always been around obviously but the nuance to how it, it happens now, what coaching looks like now, I think is still kind of at the forefront. It's still not normal yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you're hiring a trainer, you're hiring a coach, a, a good coach, I should say, it's not just about oh, weight. Yeah. It's not just about weight. It's not just about, you know, your pictures. It's also about like the big picture. I've had so many clients where they send a check-in and they hit their macros and their biofeedback is like horrible. And it's like, okay, why are you sleeping three hours a night? Or like, why did you not poop on this day? Like what is going on? And you have to take that into consideration. But I think unfortunately, a lot of like trainers also don't have the awareness where maybe they do feel like it's woo woo to ask all those questions, or it's weird to ask your client if she's on her period or not. But it's like all that stuff really does matter. And that's where I feel like fitness isn't just about like bodybuilding and competing, which both of us like we're competitors. It's also about health at the end of the day. It's about your physical health. It's about your mental health. Like all these aspects help us help you. Um, and it's important. It impacts your progress. It impacts like your journey. I I personally wish that I would have hired a coach when I was like 18, like a good coach, but I had to go through a lot of really bad coaches first. Yeah. You, you keep saying the good coach distinction. And unfortunately I do think it needs to be made because I myself have had so many experiences with new client consult calls where they're you know, they've debated and hesitated even reaching out or applying for coaching because their first experience with their first coach was so bad, was so mm-hmm. terrible that it left such a, you know, sour taste in their mouth. Um, and that's not how it should be. You know, we should be focusing on or taking a health first approach. I think, I think this is a phrase that Joelle actually came up with that is, you know, or that she says frequently, you know, if we focus on health first, the aesthetics will follow. Like, even if your goal is bodybuilding, even if you like mm-hmm. only care about looking better or weighing less, the way to get there, the way to achieve those the most optimally is to take a health first approach. Because even if you don't, even if you bypass all those things, that outcome that you may achieve in the short term will be short term. Like if you don't focus on health first, you won't maintain it. And that's what we really want for our clients, right? Is a sustainable approach to improving our health, our fitness. And then as a byproduct of doing that, we look better. We weigh less. We have more muscle. We have less body fat, right? It's all, those are all byproducts of continually making good choices. So we got to teach our clients how to do that, what that looks like. Really like the whole overview of like, even this podcast was like actually encouraging women to, of course, push themselves, train with intensity, train like an athlete, but also recover enough, like eat enough. Like don't do too much. Um, don't underestimate your strength. Like we, we care about their health. We care about their progress and it's not just about getting them to move for the sake of moving. Um, and I like that whole, like you have to focus on the health and then everything else aesthetics will follow, which is very, very true. A lot of people have it flip-flopped and then that's when they get stuck. Yeah, a lot of people take the general uh, advice that some people give, which with the, which is just the 
eat less, move more. And that's been something that has, you know, irritated me for years and years now, because it really does skip those important things. It bypasses that awareness of like, at the end of the day, is that really what we're looking for in general? Mm -hmm. I Maybe wanna... if you want to break it all the way down, but. That just reminds me though, <laughs> I know we're kind of getting off topic, but nothing irks me more than just hearing it's just about a calorie deficit and not talking about habits and not talking about where the person really is at, or even gaslighting them and saying, well, if you're not losing weight on 1200 calories, then you're just not tracking correctly. And it's a lot of gaslighting and coming from someone who I've had an eating, eating disorder. I've gone through competition preps. I've gone through phases where my body hasn't lost weight on 1200 calories because I've dug it into the ground. I'm like, that is so not helpful. And I don't want someone to just hire a coach and then them say, well, you just need a calorie deficit to lose body fat. No, your client might be an emotional eater. They might be extremely stressed out. They might have something going on with their thyroid. You know, it could be a laundry list of other things and don't just gaslight them to say like, move more and eat less. Cause that can be really bad information for some people. Yeah. The, the how and the why matters in this context, like Yes, if we want to be scientific at the end of the day, weight loss comes down to calorie deficits. But the process of creating that in a healthy, sustainable way looks drastically different from one person to another. Mm -hmm. It may look similar to some people, but you cannot just skip the fact that people have, you know, if nothing else, just different preferences. So telling somebody like you have to eat a certain way because it creates that deficit what if they don't like eating that way? Then it's not the best for them because they're never going to stick with it. You don't, don't know what they've had, uh, their experiences in the past, if they've had eating disorders, you know, what their relationship with food is. You know, it doesn't take into consideration what they do for a living, what their stress level is like, because that stress level is going to affect their, their, their mental state, their focus, their ability to make good choices and stick to whatever their diet looks like. But there's so many things that go into how you create a deficit or even if creating is one should be the goal right because i think that that's something that we're realizing too is that that's what gets broadcasted over and over and over again and so that's what people think is like oh health and fitness calorie deficit and it's like no that's that's not mm -hmm. the only thing that matters and that should only be actually uh, strived for temporarily for a relatively mm -hmm. small period of your overall journey like most of your time should be focusing on eating more food you know focusing on those habits so Again, I think we're getting better at that as, a, as an industry, but it's still new. It is still kind of like in this beginning stages of like, oh, we're actually focusing on things that matter. We're actually talking about something different besides just how much weight did I lose, you know, and what diet helped me get there. Talking about maintenance and reverse dieting and maybe even having some flexibility with your food. I used to be like a, you have to track macros every single day. And now I'm at a point where I have my clients take untracked days. I have them take untracked meals. I personally do a hybrid where I do tracking and non-tracking days in my improvement season. And as a coach and anyone in this industry, it's evolving. You know, this is a space that is so new in a way and it's constantly changing. So who knows what's going to be, you know, five, 10 years from now, I always wonder like, what's the trend going to be, you know? Um, but I feel like it's starting to move in a more positive direction. Just know, like, if some of the stuff out there seems like fear mongering or lots of red flags, it probably is. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, it's helpful to talk about this. I mean, we started this podcast talking about kind of like training differences between men and women. I hope that we are moving towards or moving in a direction that now, like 
more men are also taking these things into consideration because from, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's just the niche that I am in or, you know, the, the algorithm giving me, you know, whatever it's giving me. I see a lot of this being talked about and geared towards, you know, we're talking to females here. We're talking to women who have been under eating, not being mindful of their biofeedback and, you know, bypassing all of this stuff that we're talking about, but it's not just women. It's, it's also yeah. men. Right. And that leads to the same type of dysregulation that, you know, your, your, testosterone tanks your thyroid isn't functioning optimally like men experience that too if you're under eating if you're overtraining, and so i think it just needs to be more common in general to start here right to yeah. start from a place of health again health first yeah definitely well i feel like this podcast is going to be really helpful for both men and women uh john where can people find you if they want to get into contact with you yeah i am uh, most active on instagram um my username my, my tag whatever is at underscore john dot null um, or through the level 10 coaching page as well perfect i'm going to leave all of john's information down below if you guys missed that thank you again yeah thank you here on beyond the bikini we talk a lot about training and nutrition trust me it can be challenging to hit your fitness goals on your own There is so much out there when it comes to working out, hitting your nutrition, and finding the plan that's right for you and your goals. Now, one thing that can make that a lot easier is hiring a coach and getting support towards your goals. I'm happy to say that I do offer online health and fitness coaching. I have plans that vary from support with training and nutrition and just your nutrition, and I even offer challenges throughout the year. If that sounds like something you're interested in, make sure you check out that description box down below. You can also find more details on my coaching services at NicoleFerrierFitness.com or even on Instagram at NicoleFerrierFitness. All right, now back to the episode.